This is a Restless Interview. Welcome to Restless. I'm your host, Matt. I am joined, as always, by Pastor Michael. And we are really reformed, even though our show is all about New Calvinism. Michael, do you know how I know our show is really reformed? Uh, I, I have no idea where you're going. So <laughs> That's great. Tell that's, me, Matt. That's how I like it. Because we have an OPC friend, or at least I have an OPC friend. I hope our, our show will soon have a friend from the Orthodox Presbyterian Church. Because today we are inviting Rob McKenzie on who is an elder of an OPC church in Chicagoland. He also puts out a podcast called Theology Simply Profound, and he wrote a book we're going to be discussing called Identifying the Seed. Rob, welcome to Restless. Thank you. It's, it's great to be here. And, uh, of course, Matt. Matt and I have taken classes together at RTS, mm-hmm. and we, we would always sit in uh, Mike Odo's class, and he would talk about his one OPC friend, uh, that that was, uh, you know, he would only have one. He can only have one. That's right. So I'm hoping that, now he's EPC, so I'm hoping TCA guys can have more than one. But if I'm, you can only have one, I, I'm honored to be that one. I think I'm, we're allowed five. I'm not positive, five, but I think okay. we're allowed five. That's very I'm, generous. Yeah, yeah. I'm open to more. Rob, tell us a little bit about yourself um, and and your book that we're we're excited to talk about. Well, I was raised uh, in the church, raised uh, at a Bible church, dispensational, uh, semi-Arminian, uh, typical uh, conservative evangelical, but uh, coming out of, uh, you know, it wasn't, it was Baptistic, but it wasn't Baptist kind of, kind of uh, church. And I went to Bible college and uh, got my degree in uh, Bible pastoral. And it was right after college, like right after I was out, um, I started to really study the Bible more. And I started to wrestle with the passages that uh, I, I, I seemed to skip. I would read these passages like Ephesians 2 and John 6 and John 10. And, uh, I would just keep skipping them. Uh, or I would read them and I would think, th- th- those can't be saying what I think they're saying. And finally, after I was out of uh, my undergrad, I decided to really uh, stop skipping those passages and to start studying them. And through um, a lot of tears and angst, I became first uh, a Calvinist, but very quickly became covenantal and reformed and uh, Presbyterian. Uh, it was, it was, it was kicking against the goats to get there. But once I got there, um, I, it was just incredible to, because then all those passages that I used to skip over, I didn't have to skip over anymore. Uh, I've been working for uh, University Press for the last 17 years. I'm the academic sales manager. I am a ruling elder at, um, I, at Westminster OPC in Indian Head Park, Illinois, just outside Chicago. Uh, yes, I do, I do have a podcast, Theology Simply Profound, where I co-host with the pastor of my church, uh, Bob Trillo. So it's Rob and Bob. It's, well, that's uh, great. We, we just well, couldn't get away from that. Yeah. We're Matt and Mike, and, there you go. I'm, and I'm co-hosting with a pastor at my church. So, Rob, it sounds like you became Reformed not through Mark Driscoll clips like me, but through, uh, through Bible study. Is that the case? Uh, yes, that would be the case. Um, I also became reformed a little earlier than you since I'm, I'm just a couple years older, probably. <laughs> uh, I was, I was becoming reformed in the, in the later nineties. And 
what I, well, I know we're going to talk about this later, but uh, I, I look at my coming to the Reformed faith as the first phase of what would become the Young Restless and Reformed. And I think you would have come in in the second phase. Tell us what the earlier phase was like. Well, I think that you actually have to go back to the to the 80s. You have to go back to um, the later 80s with the Lordship controversy. Mm. Uh, the Lordship controversy uh, really was, was kind of a, uh, a theological duel between John MacArthur and Charles Ryrie. When MacArthur wrote this book called The Gospel According to Jesus, and in this book, he kind of lays out, this was his coming to Calvinism. So he's laying out in Gospel According to Jesus um, how, how faith has to come in order for salvation to occur. That, that's, that's kind of what he's trying to do. Now, in Gospel According to Jesus, he actually didn't do it all that well. He got some things wrong. He put the cart before the horse at times. But it, 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 was, um, it was him trying to explain, coming from semi-Arminianism into a Calvinistic understanding, but so you had uh, Ryrie coming out with so great salvation, kind of rebutting MacArthur and what he would believe in what's called easy believism, mm. that uh, once saved, always saved, uh, God is waiting for you to come to him. And when you ask uh, God for salvation, then God will give you salvation. And once that happens, as Ryrie would say, if you get saved one day, and then the next day you wake up and you say, I don't believe in God at all. And you live your life as a complete degenerate atheist. You're still a Christian. You still go to heaven because, because that one decision that you made, where we would say, no, that person, that he might have made a decision one day, but that was not an actual, that was not a moment of salvation for them. But they were all like merging together in the late 80s. And in the, in the early 90s, you had a lot of uh, dispensationalists, young dispensationalists, that were starting to become Calvinists. What, what ended up happening with, with all those things converging in the early 90s was a whole generation of dispensationalists that would go off to college that would start listening to White Horse Inn, they were reading R.C. Sprawl, they were reading John Piper, and they, and they had been reading MacArthur as well. By the time you get to the late 90s or the middle 90s, you have this generation, and then I would be, this is the, what I call the first wave. And dispensationalism lost a whole generation of, of, their, of uh, my generation of mm. dispensationalists that were coming up, that were going to replace. That they were gonna, we were going to be the pastors. We were going to be the missionaries. We were going to be the, one, the teachers in, in the seminaries. Now, all of a sudden, we're becoming reformed. And the, the, the first wave this is the major difference between the first and the second wave. First wave uh, really became confessional, uh, moved on to uh, OPC, PCA, URC. Hmm. So that, that's kind of the first, and then we can bleed into the second. I, I like that. I think Michael and I will likely be investigating um, this, this theory of, of maybe what these multiple waves look like. Michael, I know you often say, I don't know if we're the right ones to be doing this podcast. I will tell you one thing. Rob is the right man to have on discussing dispensational theology and covenant theology in regard to the new Calvinists. I want to quote one thing from your book. And I think this was the moment when I realized your book has a, has a good part, good amount of convergence with the kinds of things we're talking about here. And maybe, and maybe 
one of the reasons our show exists is because there wasn't a confessional turn mm. to uh, in, in 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 the second wave because it it seems to have in many parts fallen apart. But what you say, which I just found so interesting, is in the modern church history there has been a Calvinistic movement within dispensationalism, starting with the Lordship controversy, which you just mentioned, in the late 1980s, all the way to the young, restless, and reform at the beginning of the 21st century. Calvinism, also known as the doctrines of grace, is often used to refer to itself. So therefore, it's capable of being synergized with dispensationalism, at least to a degree. What's interesting is, it seems like what you're saying is the new Calvinists came out of dispensationalism, that that's where this kind of mixture was happening. Is, is that the case? Um, when we're talking about the second wave, the first wave definitely had the, the people coming into it were, were the, the di- more conservative dispensational college students, that generation, my generation. Is that, um, could you say yeah. that's because uh, those who were dispensationalists were kind of the conservative evangelicals? That's where you would find them. That's what that's they where, would have believed. All I was. think that helps. That, that definitely helped. Absolutely. Um, I also think it was the influences. Um, White Horse Inn, the R.C. Sprawl, uh, even John Piper, but it was, uh, and, and you know, I can throw out more, you know, Robert Godfrey, Sinclair Ferguson, Eric Alexander. I mean, these were the guys, and these were confessional people. So our influences were very confessional. But there was, there was a, a drawback to history, church history, of a, this is what we've been missing. Hmm. And that didn't carry over into the second generation, at least not at the beginning and not in the middle, because the second generation or the second, you know, so Young Wrestling Reform comes out. And now R.C. Sprawl is still beloved, but White Horse Inn, it's kind of waning. Um, the, the, the influence, I mean, you still had Sinclair Ferguson. He's there. Uh, Lee Duncan, Presbyterian, you know, PCA guy. Uh, but they're still waning. They're not the ones that have been drawn up to the highest one. That's where you had Mark Driscoll. That's right. (laughs) Go ahead. This is fascinating to me uh, because we've talked when uh, we kind of talked through our various stories that I don't have uh, maybe the exact same trajectory as a lot of guys within what you're calling the second wave. And I think that's a helpful way to look at it. Hmm. And I think part of that is because I was being mentored by a guy who I think very much would probably fit into the first wave. Um, So even as you're talking about the Lordship controversy and MacArthur and all of that, uh, I feel like I had influences that were very influenced by that. Right. And so there was a, there was a connection there where I would almost put myself not in the timeline, but as far as actual influences kind of in the, you know, one and a half waves where I was very, you know, very interested in, in, and found a lot of uh, stuff from Driscoll, Matt Chandler, those kinds of guys. But at the same time, I had, uh, you know, mentors that were saying, hey, don't just go there, go to R.C. Sproul, go to some more of these historical works, go to these other places. And so uh, what you're saying resonates a lot with my own experience, having kind of maybe spanned uh, between these two a little bit. Yeah, that's really interesting. With the second wave, when, when all this started up, you had, um, and this is what kind of Michael was, was uh, bringing up, uh, you had people, the new generation that was going to come into what we understand as young Russell from reform, um, coming out of a little more uh, broader evangelicalism. 
Mm-hmm. So still conservative, but but not as like you know maybe the first generation was a little more fundy, and the and the next generation was a little more uh, happy clappy, uh, which you know I'm not saying in any way disparage any anyone, but uh, you know the, my church growing up you know we only had hymns, and uh, we only you know we we had hymns we you know, we, we had a very typical service, but we looked at a lot of these other churches that were, you know, they had the praise band and they had, uh, you know, they, they might've had, uh, you know, the, the mega church kind of stuff, but right. not necessarily 10,000 people. Uh, but, you know, they had the, the, the mind team and the, the, that's all of a sudden, um, you know, my the, church. You, yeah. <laughs> you the mind team. Well, no, no, I, I was, not I will say I was on the puppet team. I was yeah. on the puppet team in my church, but we didn't do it in the service. That was the, that was the difference. I, I, I have to admit, I've been in a number of church skits in my days. There you go. I think. I mean, I think this is interesting. That yeah. if I'm understanding the as you're talking about these two phases, first phase comes out of the the conservative, almost fundamentalist Bible yeah. church. Phase two out of the church growth movement. Yeah. And so, yeah, that's going to take two very different shapes. Uh, and it, it, it is go on yeah go yeah, on so so they're coming out now another the funny thing about it is that with both groups one of the catalysts is that you know they become calvinists and all of a sudden it's you know what we can drink now both groups did that by the way that's right with what you mean alcohol isn't <laughs> sinful you know and so now the, the people are selling pipes and they're getting you know cigars and they're you know um with something that i actually still have have put off i just don't like it but uh but i've embraced the wine i embrace the alcohol uh and and there's this this cultural chain that had been put on us um and i i mean i was told look you, you can't go to the movies you can't dance you can't play the cards you can't do all those things uh, because these are all sinful activities and so now in both phases people are coming out of this wait a minute you're telling me you can't go to the movies but we have a giant tv and uh, a bunch of, you know, how many DVDs do we own? But we can't go to the movies. And playing cards are wrong, but yet we can sit around and play Uno and Skippo. And, you know, so it's, it's people did start to see some of the pharmaceutical rules that had been placed on us that weren't right, that, that weren't biblical. Sure. And so there's this, this casting off of that, that type of fundamentalism and the embracing of Calvinism. And then in the first generation, or the first phase, we, we went, confessional in the second they didn't you had a lot uh you had a lot more reformed baptists coming out of the second phase than you did in the first now you still had some in the first and even in the second you still had people that went confessional i mean it's not nothing monolithic but when you're looking at something as a whole group the the and when i say the reformed baptists i know people who are staunchly reformed baptists they, they have a very good, very robust covenant theology. They're Calvinists. Um, you know, right. they get the 1689 get, Federalists. 16, right, right. Although we have to be careful with that now because now there's some people that have taken that to a, a, an extreme. Yeah. Um, but yes, there's also a looser version of Reformed Baptists. We're Calvinists. Isn't that enough? And they're almost this aversion to going beyond Calvinism. Hmm. Now, this was, 
I'm looking at this. This is the Young Restless and Reformed, which is the, the article that came out um, Christianity Today uh, in the early 2000s. And one of the, the characteristics of the second phase was uh, people would, would, would come in and they're like, yes, we're Calvinists now, and now we can drink, and well, we can throw off the pharmaceutical rules, and now I love John Piper, and I love R.C. Sprawl, and I'm going to go buy my Puritan books and maybe read them. And, and then, and they're really, and, and, you know, to their credit, these were people who had a renewed love for Christ, something that they'd never had before in their life, or at least they hadn't had it in a long time. And, and they were, they, they were sincerely going to these conferences, loving Jesus. And that's wonderful. And they were looking, they were reading their Bibles more and praying. And this was all, this was all, I'm not saying that the second phase was bad. I'm just saying that some of the results of where the directions they went in weren't the, the healthiest. We on the show have a high level of appreciation for obvious reasons and a high level of criticism. So you're in, you're in similar company. Okay. Well, what, what you had happening, and this was not a minor characteristic of the second phase, you had people that were coming from where they were to Calvinists, to this phase, to this place, young new Calvinists, although that, that phrase was not used then, it wasn't, it's a little bit later. And they would, uh, you'd look at them and you'd, you'd, some of these young guys, maybe they had college degrees, uh, they, were, they were on fire for the Lord. And I look at these people and I'm saying, great, you want to you go be a pastor? You're, you were, go to seminary. And they were saying, no, 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 no. We don't need seminary. What we're going to do is we're going to go and we're going to intern at our church for six months. And then we're going to go plant a church in the inner city. And you're sending what could go out, wrong? Yeah, yeah, that's right. What could go wrong? You're sending out people who are not prepared. They're not prepared theologically. They're not prepared ministerially. They're not prepared emotionally. They're not prepared uh, mentorally. Somebody actually for, for several years to mentor them. And you, we watched these people go out, and many of them were burned out within a year. I knew a guy that that he took his wife and kids to the inner city. He had gone through this four-month internship program. Within two years, they were they were out of there, and he almost left the church completely. He ended up at a uh, at a um, an Anglican church, mm. um, and he not and not doing anything, just attending the Anglican church because he was him and his family were so burned out. Well, of course, uh, of course, you're going to be burned out. You you weren't trained, you weren't prepared, you 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 just were thrown in, and that was very characteristic of that second wave. What has ended up happening in that second wave is that the 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 people that went out that weren't trained, that didn't get burned out, that didn't leave the faith, as many did, realized. And here are people that are coming in. They've been up, the, I'm the pastor of a church. I've been a pastor of this church for 10 or 12 years. Now I'm going to go to seminary because I realized that I need those classes. Mm. Now, great. You, you realize now that, you, that maybe you should have gone earlier. Okay. There, so thankfully, that second phase has actually fixed what I think was, was a glaring problem. Interesting. Um, there's other, I mean, what, it's 2020 now. We're, we're 17 years since the second phase began. There's right. lots of different splinters. 
Oh, that's fascinating. Uh, I think that the way that you have laid this out is extremely helpful. Uh, it's given me a lot to chew on, honestly, uh, just as I think about uh, where I came into everything. Because like I said, I, you know, I, I, was, I had influences that I think spanned into maybe this first phase. Uh, but the things that I was most attracted to uh, were a lot of those teaching within this second phase. And I feel like I've had uh, company with both sides and I've seen a lot of the fruit of both. And so uh, the, the way you've laid that out is, is really helpful for me. Rob, before we get to your book, just a little bit, we'll, we'll definitely have you back on to discuss it more in depth here. But before we get to that, I've got to ask, what is your most cage stage moment as you became oh. reformed? Okay. Uh, my most cage stage moment was probably uh, my wife was still finishing up. She's uh, a teacher. Uh, she's the principal of a classical Christian school. And uh, so we were still at school. So we, every night we, had a, we were renting this little house. So, of course, all our friends were coming over. They were getting out of the dorms. And so we, every night we had 20 or 30 students uh, coming over and it was great. I mean, it was a good time. And uh, we had, some people would be in the living room watching uh, Veggie Tales or, uh, you know, maybe Princess Bride. And then you had other people in the kitchen making French fries. And then in my uh, little study, you, we would have, you know, some of the guys and we'd be, this is now I'd become a Calvinist. I was pretty much covenantal, but oh, I was, yeah, I'm sure I was covenantal. And, um, we would sit around this table and I just would pontificate on reformed theology. And um, I never, thankfully, uh, because these were my friends, there was never really a time where I think uh, I, I, you know, sometimes you can cross that line where, where you've got the guy on the floor and you're just screaming at him, John six, John six, John 10. <laughs> and uh, you know, I don't think we ever got that far, but I, and I'm thankful for the, what the Lord did in those times of our discussions. And I'm friends with a lot of those people today. But, I mean, I look back on that now and think, you know, I was not the, the you know, I was not the right person to be sitting there in, sure. with this expert hat on telling them all about Reformed theology. Yes. So. I'll just say you are lucky your conversations never got there. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, Anyways, Rob, yeah, tell us about uh, the book, Identifying the Seed, just a little bit, um, so our listeners can, yeah, get an idea of what it, what the book is. Uh, this is a book that I uh, wanted to write because my friends and family from uh, growing up in college and uh, my wife's family, they're also dispensational. I kept answering questions for people who were covenantal about dispensationalism and people who are dispensationalists about covenant theology. Mm -hmm. So what I did with this book is I'm trying to present, here is covenant theology. This is what the, the majority of covenant theology, because obviously there's, there's always differences, but I tried to, to present, you know, the Westminster confession of faith, the majority view of covenant theology. And this is, I mean, obviously what I'm believing as well. Um, I'm not going to just, uh, I'm, I'm going to indicate where, uh, what, what I'm believing. And then I try to show, this is what dispensation was here when we say something about Reformed theology. When, when we talk about the covenant of grace, dispensationalists go, 
wait a minute, that's a man-made doctrine that you've superimposed on the Bible. That's nowhere in the Bible. And so I'm trying to help, okay, if you're Reformed and you're going to use this language, I think it's fine, but you need to be able to explain to your dispensational friends what you mean by it. You need to be able to go to Scripture and say, this is why we believe it, this is what we mean. You need to be able to help dispensationalists understand what you're saying and not just leave it up to, well, you know, it's, it's, I'm going to tell you what this is, and if you don't know, that's your problem, um, which, you know, I, I think actually happens from both sides. Hmm. So the first half of the book is I present covenant theology and I show where dispensationalists disagree. And then the second half of the book, I present dispensationalism and show w- how covenant people are going to um, think and what they're going to, when, when, uh, when Ryrie and, and dispensationalism is teaching about um, animal sacrifices in the millennial kingdom, Christ comes back and then there's animal sacrifices. Dispensationalists do not understand how, how when, when reformed covenant people hear that, the skin kind of melts off their body. That's right. You're freaking me out, man. <laughs> what, yep. what are you talking about? You know, Christ is the final sacrifice. So I'm trying to help the dispensationalists. Okay, this is what they're hearing. This is what reform people are hearing. But I'm also trying to help the reform people understand what the dispensationalist is saying. Um, why it's not as bad as you're thinking. It's I agree it's bad. Uh, it, that, that doctrine is a bad doctrine. But they're not saying it out of any kind of uh, dis- disrespect of Christ or there any any uh, disrespect of the atonement that Christ has made. And so when, when you're when you're coming at it from different angles, um, unless you're going to sit down and actually discuss what the differences are, why they're there, you're you're going to we're going to keep talking past each other. And I I don't want dispensationalists and covenant people to talk past each other. I want them to be able to understand each other, have, have a, a reasonable conversation where we can still disagree, but let's disagree about what we actually believe. Yeah. Yeah. I think this book is helpful um, for those probably listening. I think are probably without realizing it potentially influenced by both covenant theology from their, the things that are reformed that are Calvinists they're listening to and dispensational from their upbringing. Um, And I think one of the things I like about your book, Rob, is that with the focus on covenant theology, you help make a point we tried to make in our episode where we described what it meant to be reformed, where we said covenant theology is essential. You you can't be reformed without it. So Rob, if there are people listening, we've used a lot of terms and we're going to go into these when we get you back on our next episode. What are some signs I'm in a church influenced by dispensational theology or that I grew up in a church like that, even if I'm not familiar with the term? Well, of course, it's going to vary from church to church. Yeah. Um, I, I know people that are, are reformed that uh, have moved to a certain area and th- they found the best church that was there. And the best church that was there is actually um, kind of has a, a history of dispensationalism. And so, but, but it's, it's, it's like dispensationalism light. And so they'll hear at this church, uh, because a lot of dispensationalists have become Calvinists, um, although not all, there's still a good, a good maybe 40% within that world and that, that would reject Calvin and have done so loudly. But the majority of people within dispensationalism now um, have, have kind of latched onto it in some form. 
Um, so they'll hear Calvinism in, in these churches, but then they'll also hear maybe uh, when we, they're talking about the millennial kingdom or the rapture. Um, eschatology is always the last thing to go when for dispensationalists because eschatology is, is emotionally tied to the dispensationalists. Hmm. Um, there's a lot of reasons for that. One of the reasons is that um, there's this underlying characteristic of dispensationalism where people kind of interpret the Bible through the daily news. Hmm. And I want to say um, that, 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 you know, that's this unconscious of them, but it's not. So people that are in churches that are influenced by dispensationalism, um, you, you'll just start to hear, um, you know, again, uh, well, when we're in the kingdom or, you know, well, we, we, we look for the time when Christ will return, when the rapture will happen. And so, you know, it, it's, it's, again, the eschatology is kind of the flavor that will be sprinkled on, on a lot of sermons. When, when you walk into a church, if there is a national flag of Israel, would that be a sign? I, I don't ever remember seeing that, but uh, yeah, that would be a sign. Okay. Um, I've, I've seen it. Find. I've just seen, I've never, well, I don't know if, I, I can't remember personally seeing it, but I recently was, uh, was I don't doubt you. watching a YouTube video uh, with some of the youth from our church of a particular flavor of Christianity, not specifically dispensational, but there were, they yeah. had the national flag of Israel on stage. So you're saying that kind of the, the little part of the iceberg that probably was, would be above the water in most churches influenced by this would be the eschatology, the emphasis on the rapture, yeah. the tribulation, these ideas. Yeah. And, and Michael's right to bring up Israel itself, that there's this, there's an overarching uh, focus on Israel within a dispensational church. And the more dispensational they are, the more Israel-centric they're going to be. Well, I'm just, I'm excited to get into the book a little bit more. I would uh, highly recommend anybody listening to this, just stay tuned. Uh, We're going to have more Rob and a bit more in detail about the book. Uh, I'm also thankful that, Rob, you taught me a new uh, way to classify churches on the scale from fundy to happy clappy. Uh, I'm going to keep that with me. I love that. Fundy to happy clappy. You got no, the class. That's, that's all free. <laughs> so Rob, to close this episode, we obviously spent most of our time talking about new Calvinism. Let's say you're, you're, you're probably talking to a handful of people who have at least been influenced or come through this second wave of new Calvinism, uh, like mm-hmm. myself. Is there any, is there any advice or encouragement you would just, you'd give to them? Just, you know, you're sitting, you're sitting after your seminary classes with all those guys for drinks or something. What would you, is there anything you'd tell them? I would say that, that look to scripture and understand that God has given us this book that we might know him in, in ways that, go beyond anything we can ever learn. I mean, Calvin didn't come to the point where he can say, okay, I've, I've, I've read the Bible how, you know, in, in the original languages and Latin and in German and French and Swiss and all that. I, I keep reading the Bible. Now I've gotten to the point, I've downloaded all the information that God gave us in the Bible. I'm good. I think we could say Calvin didn't come close to understanding, but he did. And we all can look to the Bible and understand the basic framework 
of what God is doing, what he wants us to do, what he's going to do. And, and he's, you know, within the Bible, the more we understand it, the more we're putting the, the meat, the, the, the flesh, the sinews, you know, we're, we're adding that we get the skeleton and then we're adding these other things onto it. And it's only through um, study and prayer and the illumination of the spirit that we're going to be able to add to that every day. And one of the characteristics I've seen in the second wave that I, I, I've seen it not be as bad as I've said. Now there are people that think, oh, we need to go to seminary. Um, is this, well, Calvinism is great, but I don't need to go beyond that. Hmm. This idea, well, you, you're, you believe in, in covenant theology. Well, there's other people that believe in dispensation. There's other people that are new covenant theology. What about that? And you know what? We'll just all find out in heaven. And I always want to slap somebody when they when they tell me that, and they <laughs> use that phrase. And because then then why did he give us this big of a book? Well, he could have just given us, you know, he could have given us the Cliff Notes version of what he wanted us to know, and then we'd be all good, and then we can go around and we can we can live our lives and not have to worry about actually understanding this much. So, right, the book is longer than five points. Well, thanks, Rob, for joining us. We'll catch everybody the next time. Let me speak to one listener right now. Rob, thank you for coming on the show. To everybody else, thank you for listening. Please rate and review this show to help others find it. Rob is going to join us next week to discuss his book, Identifying the Seed, and we are going to go deep on dispensationalism and covenant theology. I think you're going to enjoy it. Plus, we are going to explain how you can win one of two copies of Rob's book on him. Thanks. I thought I was just going to walk into, like, a, every church was, was a, a flock of seminary-graduated people right down to the nursery, you know, because they would know, because I was so overjoyed to find the Reformed faith. The OPC is trying, right? They're, they're well, it's true in the OPC. <laughs> uh, well, not, not in the nursery. <laughs> kindergarten, but, you know, kindergarten enough.